from Beacon Point. This is Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. Co-host and certified financial planners, Kobe Cress and Karen Reifel, help listeners navigate various life moments and major life events through the lens of personal finance. Contrary to popular belief, these money conversations are not boring. Prepare to be informed and entertained. Welcome back to another episode of Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. I'm your host, Kobe Cress, and with me, as always, is wealth advisor extraordinaire, Karen Reifel. Karen, how are you today? I'm good, Kobe. How are you doing? I am doing good. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon, and I'm ready for the weekend. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I have a newborn in the house. Uh, so it is always fun to have a weekend to hang out with my newborn son, Kingston. Wait, is this our first recording since your baby? It might be. I can't remember. It might be. So for listeners out there, yes, I have a newborn. And he's about uh, uh, hes about the cutest thing on the planet. And we're having a great time. This is true. I've seen photos. He is about the cutest thing on the planet, listeners. Congratulations, Toby. <laughs> Dad looks good on you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We actually determined today, I sent a picture to our marketing team and to Karen. And we determined that um, my baby wearing glasses actually looks shockingly like our CIO, Michael Dow. Uh, so, uh, Michael, if you're listening to this, I'll make sure I send that picture to you so you can see, but it gave us a good smile. But that is not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, in our last episode, uh, I believe it was our last episode, maybe two episodes ago, we talked about the best financial advice for those in their 20s and 30s. And today, we're going to continue in that series, but we're going to talk about the best financial advice uh, that we received across the country from our offices uh, for those in their 40s. One of the things that we're looking to accomplish with this series is, hey, advice changes with age. And so we want to make sure that uh, for those of our listeners that are in their 40s, that you're giving some timely advice. And I think uh, timely advice right now is important with the markets uh, being a bit grumpy, to put it mildly. Uh, it is a difficult difficult time for a lot of listeners out there. We know it's uncomfortable. So hopefully some good advice today uh, will put your mind at ease. And in that spirit, Karen, what's our first piece of advice for those uh, listeners who are in their 40s. Yeah, Kobe, that was actually a great segue because uh, I think being in, well, being in my 40s myself and having just started a family, um, I think there are a lot of things to consider that should be top of mind and big financial priorities that are bigger picture above and beyond the day-to-day of investing and doing what we do to make the money. There are some bigger, more adult decisions to consider and think about. So Best advice across the nation from our advisor poll for those in their 40s starts with establishing financial goals. One of them should be retirement and regularly save to these goals. So in your 40s, begin thinking about when you want to retire and what else is important to you. If it's buying a home, starting a family, having experiences, travel, and prioritize them. That will help in making future purchase decisions in light of your prioritized goals. And make savings automatic, out of sight, out of mind. So um, at a minimum, by this time, we would like for our listeners to be saving enough to their company-sponsored retirement plan, like a 401k or a 403b, to get the full company match. Take full advantage of that free money your employer is willing to offer by way of a match to these plans. And remember, When saving to a company retirement plan because of the income tax deductions that are available, 
a dollar saved is not a dollar lost in spending, right? So if we don't save that dollar and we want to spend that dollar, we can probably only spend about 80 cents or less of those monies because of taxes, right? But if we save a dollar, a dollar gets saved, no tax, okay? So uh, the takeaway there is even if you think you can't save or you can't increase your savings a little bit, um, it's less uncomfortable than you might think because of the tax advantages associated with that savings. And then also outside of retirement plans, if you have other goals that you've set up, like I said, if it's buying a home or um, going on a big family vacation, whatever it is that's important to you, set up a different account and same thing, set the money to save automatically, out of sight, out of mind. For a lot of listeners out there, you may think to yourself, okay, Kobe and Karen, uh, set goals seems like a pretty basic piece of advice. Uh, So I'm going to jump in here with uh, one of my favorite quotes from Yogi Berra, who has quite a good, uh, a number of good quotes. And my favorite quote from Yogi Berra is, if you don't know where you're going, you'll wind up someplace else. And I find this to be very true. When I speak to clients, a lot of times, when we do just the basic exercise of what are we trying to accomplish here, right? You're hiring an advisor. You're bringing somebody in to help you through whatever season of life that you're in. And one of the most important things for us to establish is what are we trying to accomplish? Retirement is a great goal. But when is that retirement going to be? A very popular topic, especially for those in their 40s, is retirement early. If you want to retire early, you could probably make that happen. Uh, but you have to have a plan in place now and be able to work towards that plan to accomplish it. So if we don't know where we're going, we'll wind up someplace else. That's why we start with setting of goals. And I'll add to that, the importance of setting goals also allows us to make empowered decisions when we decide to do something or not to do something, right? So um, as I sit here today, listeners, I'm in my home office. Everyone knows that it is my least liked place in our house and where I spend the most amount of time. And the things I could do in this office to make it more inviting, um, probably improve my storage tremendously, and just general happiness and attitude towards my daily work. Uh, But the money associated with the things that I would probably want to do uh, would have to come from somewhere else, right? It would have to come from another goal. And when I put it into the context of using that money instead of something else, it doesn't become that important to me, right? So planning helps establish priorities, which again, empowers us to make the decisions of what we buy or don't buy. On your second point about making savings automatic, I'm a big believer in forcing mechanisms, putting systems in place that force your hand. A great example of this is increasing the amount you're deferring to your 401k, right? Close your eyes, plug your nose, go in there and increase it because it's gonna be out of sight, out of mind, And you'll be very glad that you did 10 years from now. If you have to rely on yourself to save money by hitting your bank account, then you're going to move it to another account, but you can't do that to your retirement plan to begin with. But let's say you're trying to do some additional savings. A good forcing mechanism is have it go automatically. Don't have to take another step in the process to make that savings happen. Set it up automatically. This is easier than it's ever been in the world of technology. So forcing mechanisms, that is good not only for savings, but it's good for all sorts of financial planning, right? Put systems in place, have things set up automatically so that your hands are really forced, right? You have to do the things that are good for you. I will add to that, Kobe, be deliberate about increasing savings with increases in income. So when you get a pay increase or a bonus, allocate it to one of the goals for which you want to save rather than absorbing it in current spending. Okay, Kobe, so what's our second best piece of advice for the 40-something listeners? 
for listeners out there, the second best uh, piece of advice, and this is very specific, I feel, to folks that are in their 40s, uh, is to have a backup plan. Okay. And, and even more specific than that, when we talk about a backup plan for those who are working and in their 40s, um, your greatest asset in your 40s is your ability to earn. For most people in their 40s, this is the, the, um, stage of their career where they're finally earning a pretty decent living, right? They might be even creeping towards, uh, uh, the most they'll earn throughout their careers. And this is a time to make sure, uh, that you insure you use insurance to protect that asset, which is, again, your ability to earn. And we do this through life insurance, okay? So one of the best pieces of advice we have for those of you who are in your 40s is this is a time to look at life insurance. Um, and we we certainly can talk a little bit more in depth about the types of life insurance. We probably won't go in depth there today, but I will share one opinion on this. If you're not sure where to start on life insurance, two things to consider. Most employers offer at least a, a slight bit of term life insurance as an employee benefit. Okay, so when you're when you're signing up for benefits during open enrollment, pay attention to that. You may be able to get some life insurance through your employer. Uh, I recommend for a lot of folks, a good starting point would be term life insurance. Okay, this is um, life insurance that is only going to be in existence for a number of years. It tends to be cheaper. And after that period, uh, let's say it's 20 years, after 20 years in this example, uh, you don't have any cash balance that you're going to get back, but you were covered through, you were covered by this insurance policy throughout that 20 year period, right? And what you're really looking to do here is replace your income, right? If you're going to leave loved ones, family members, children behind, you want to make sure that your family could be supported because you are no longer there providing that valuable asset, which is your ability to earn. And I will add to that, Kobe, homemakers as well should consider life insurance as the costs associated with maintaining the household and certainly caring for children in the event something were to happen will need to be covered also. So if you are caring for loved ones or have loved ones that are dependent on you for income, ensure the asset that is you. And in addition to insuring in the form of life insurance, and just as important is insuring for disability. So in the event you are unable to work, uh, disability insurance policies typically work to provide between 50 and 70% of income replacement. Um, they'll never replace 100% of income because we can't be too incentivized not to work. Uh, but many employers similar to the group term insurance, or excuse me, to the group life insurance that Kobe mentioned offer some form of group disability insurance as part of employment. So a typical employer-provided group arrangement will provide three to six months of disability and then followed by longer-term disability, which can last up to age 65 or recovery from the disability of earlier. Um, and the group coverage is usually less expensive and requires less underwriting. Um, but, and listeners, this is a big but, there is generally a maximum monthly benefit amount. And if you make well over this maximum dollar amount, you may need to secure supplemental disability insurance outside of your group coverage. For example, the group coverage may state, and the description in the coverage on your employee benefit summary may actually say 60% group disability coverage, which implies that it will cover 60% of your earnings in the event of a qualified disability. However, in the fine print, it may be subject to a maximum benefit amount per month of, say, $5,000. So in this example, for anyone who makes over $100,000, that 60% will not provide 
excuse me, that $5,000 will not provide a full 60% of income replacement. Okay, so um, make sure to familiarize yourself with your group policy's maximum benefit amount. And if it will not cover that 60 to 70% of your income, then seek an outside independent individual supplemental policy to be paid for. You can also secure these supplemental policies through your employer. You just pay for it instead. So listeners, we are still talking through the best piece of advice number two that we shared today, which is create a backup plan. And the last piece that we're going to talk about that should be a part of that backup plan is an estate plan. Now, don't turn the show off. Every time I seem to talk about estate plans, people tune it out because nobody likes talking about end-of-life type planning. But here's a statistic that is important. Now, I read this a few years ago, and I will try to find the study so we can include it in the show notes. Uh, but I read a study just a few years ago that showed that 82% of those over the age of 55 are missing at least one essential piece of their estate plan. Okay, And there are five essential pieces that were named in the study. The statistic is actually worse for those in their 40s. So it actually gets better, and it's still 82% at age 55 plus are missing an essential piece. Those essential pieces are a will and very likely a trust. Okay, And in another episode, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about those pieces. But it also includes a durable power of attorney for health, a durable power of attorney for financial matters, and a HIPAA authorization. Those last three I just named are pieces you need to have in place while you're still alive. They're not really end-of-life planning pieces. They really have to do with who gets to make decisions and speak on your behalf uh, if something was to happen to you and you were incapacitated yet still alive. Um, for those of you who are married, your spouse will most likely be able to make a lot of those decisions. But if you're not married or uh, your spouse is also incapacitated or has already passed something like this, then a hospital or a financial institution is not going to allow another family member to just make decisions uh, simply because they're a family member, right? Your children can't make decisions for you just because they're your children. For all the hospital knows, or for all because the financial institution knows, you're estranged from your children, right? We hope that's not the case, but it does happen. They're not going to take uh, any instructions from them without a durable power of attorney, right? So these are pieces we need to have in place, even if we're not anywhere near what we think will be kind of the end of our life. So it's a, a very important uh, component of the backup plan. It doesn't have to be that big of an issue to have it all put in place either. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. That's exactly right, Kobe. And think of the estate plan as your opportunity to create a rule book for what happens upon your incapacitation or passing. You are in control. And we would consider this to be maybe a non-negotiable piece of backup planning for individuals in their 40s, especially those with minor children, investment assets, homes, assets, and just generally just ourselves, right? So the documents you talked about, about health, right? That's that's a document you should have regardless. So these are critically important documents and backup plan pieces to have in place. So Karen, we've gone through two Best pieces of advice that we received for those in their 40s across the country. And we have a third and final for listeners out there today. And then we're going to cover a few missteps to avoid as well. So Karen, what is our third best piece of advice for those listeners who are in their 40s? Yeah. So Kobe, what we know about workers today is we're kind of beyond the, the, the era in which we work for a company for 50 years and retire having allegiance to just one employer, right? And the likely scenario is that we'll work for multiple employers over our careers. And um, as you, in 40-somethings are about that time where you might, you know, decide to change jobs or maybe even change careers or um, if you haven't done so already. But um, 
increase our, our best piece of advice, number three, is increase your knowledge around employer benefits and pay as you climb up or move around professionally, right? And I would say, even if you don't, um, increase your knowledge around employer benefits. Let's make sure that as we develop through our career and we make more money and we receive different compensation packages or change jobs, that we understand the benefits that are being offered by the employer and we don't leave any easy money on the table. That's that's really important because there is money to be um, made just by making a simple election. Okay. And I can give a personal example of this. So um, my husband and I, we have two kids and we leverage a benefit that is provided as part of our package, which is a dependent care flexible spending account. Effectively, what that does is it's a way for us to funnel dollars that we will be using to secure care for our kids while we're working, right? That expense, transition, funnel those dollars through a flexible spending account. And effectively, by just putting the money through this account and still paying for the same expenses, it becomes tax, those expenses become tax deductible to us. So every dollar we would pay in dependent care by funneling it through the flexible spending account, it really only costs us 70 cents on the dollar, right? So it's effectively a discount maker just by leveraging the option that's available. Now, it does require some administrative tasks of putting the money in and remembering to request a reimbursement after you've had the appropriate amount of expenses and so forth. But I mean, the benefits are well worth the time, but you have to understand the benefits, right? So again, make yourself familiar with the benefits that are available. And on that note, if your compensation arrangement begins to include different forms of compensation as you evolve and, and develop in your career, maybe there's some sort of performance-based bonus or a payout that vests over time, uh, maybe even the potential to defer income altogether, right? All these different forms of compensation. It's important to begin taking time to understand these packages because there may be some decisions required on your part in terms of election that are important to you now and will also be important to you later. And so this is when when your compensation packages get a little bit more complex, we would encourage you to solicit the advice of a financial advisor if you haven't already, as these decisions tend to need to be made both in light of current benefits and future aware in their future benefits. So if you haven't, seek the advice of an advisor on that end of compensation packages. One of the things you said brings me back to a lot of the other things that we do with clients and we talk about on this podcast, which are things like uh, tax planning, um, employer benefit planning, certainly, uh, all of these different areas. A lot of times there are dollars just left on the table that if you take just an extra little step here or there, you could scoop up kind of some free dollars. An example of that might be a donor advised fund, a very popular topic when it comes to charitable giving, right? Just by funneling your, your charitable giving through a donor advised fund, you pick up a lot of times, maybe some extra tax benefit, right? Some free dollars. But you have to A, know that it's there. And that's where a financial planner can help. And then B, you have to deal with maybe an extra step or two. But it's worth it. Over the course of your entire career, these little extra dollars saved here and there can make a big difference. So I think that's excellent. One of the other ones that we just talked estate planning, a lot of folks don't realize that for maybe a basic estate plan, you can have a basic estate plan very often uh, drawn up using the legal insurance that's uh, provided by your employer. So instead of paying a few thousand dollars to have an estate plan, 
Although there could be reasons to do that. If you have a little bit more complex of a plan, you need a little bit more um, nuance in your estate plan, then you may need to pay those extra dollars. But for a few hundred dollars, you may be able to have a basic estate plan put together to at least have the core documents in place. And then in the future, if you need to make changes or your situation gets more in-depth or advanced, then then maybe you bring in a more advanced estate planner. Um, so that's a great benefit to look at for those of you who, like we just talked about, are in that 82% plus who don't have all the pieces of their estate plan, you may be able to do it in a pretty um, low cost manner. As we talk about these options related to decisions around employer benefits, I think it's important to point out that these decisions often need to be made at the end of the year uh, when we are gearing up for a very busy holiday season and um, not, I, I mean, Kobe, I know I'm not alone when I say that every time open enrollment comes and I am tasked with making these very important decisions or just understanding the options that are available to me, right? Because even if I don't change jobs, our benefit packages and those little nuances like legal service, you know, um, packages can sneak in there that weren't there the year before. So it is important to call, I recommend carve out time, put it on your calendar, dedicate a morning, get yourself a cup of coffee, leave your schedule open, whatever you need to do to plan as aware as you can for these important benefit decisions at the end of the year. It happens every year. There's no way around it. And by taking just a little bit more time to be a, a little thoughtful, you can really save save some money. It is interesting that open enrollment for most uh, private sector employees is in the fall and winter. You d I don't know if that's really well thought out. My wife, who was a school teacher for years and years, her open enrollment was in July. And I always felt like I had a lot of extra time when her and I would sit down and talk through uh, all the benefits for the year and what was going to be best for our family. I thought, this is kind of nice doing this in July. I doubt we have enough sway on this podcast to get that changed across the country. <laughs> but maybe that's something we should call our uh, elected representatives to talk about. You are right, because it isn't just, you know, the day-to-day -day hustle and bustle for personal lives at year-end. Many of us are facing year-end deadlines and crunch time when it comes to work. So, yeah, I mean, July sounds lovely. We can see what we can do. So, Karen, as we wrap up this episode today, there's two last things for us to talk about here for listeners, which is mistakes to avoid, common mistakes, and then some resources that are available to help those who are in their 40s and really everybody. This is good advice for everybody. I know it's tailored to those in their 40s, uh, but it is really good advice for everybody out there. Um, so let's start with the missteps. What are some of the common missteps that we want to encourage folks to avoid? Yeah, I think one of the easiest things that's avoidable is just carving out the time to think ahead as you enter your 40s and you begin thinking about and you're getting closer to these bigger financial priorities and goals. Just think ahead about what's important. Not prioritizing, I think, is a really big money misstep. And it's so easy to do with a little bit of thought, right? Um, and then we mentioned it before, Kobe. This is a big one. It's too easy to do. It was easy to do years ago. Amazon Prime and technology have made it even easier to do this. Listeners, avoid lifestyle creep. So when you get that bonus or that increase in pay, don't spend it. If you think you can afford that additional uh, toy loan, right? Maybe you want to buy that RV to start planning trips with your family, or if you want to um, buy that second home or whatnot, um, be careful before you apply extra dollars towards debt service, right? Make sure 
it, those you're allocating the dollars to the items that are important to you and that still enable you to achieve all of your goals in priority, right? So if retiring early is your number one priority, then maybe that second home isn't the best use of a bonus, right? That down payment on that second home. Don't use your bonus for that. Um, and like I said, it's too easy to do. But if you automate savings and you move it to a, a goal, like an account dedicated to a goal before you can spend it, it will be easier. The second misstep, and I think this is a really important one because in the business, and I know you see this a lot, Karen, as well. Being in this business, I see this mistake a lot, which is don't withdraw assets from your 401k too early. That's a big one. You're going to pay penalties if you're in your 40s, most likely. Uh, there's reasons to avoid that. But also, and maybe equally as important, is don't forget about old 401k plans. As Karen mentioned early, when you're in your 40s, it might be a time where you start changing a career or a job, or it may be that you finally settled into a career, but you changed your jobs a few times when you're in your 20s and your 30s. And a lot of times folks end up with old 401k plans that are just sitting out there that have been completely neglected. They may be invested, they may not. They may be invested appropriately, they may not. And they just kind of leave them out there and they just focus on their new 401k. Don't neglect your old 401k plans. Don't forget about your old 401k plans. And in almost any circumstance, don't withdraw funds from your 401k plan as well, if you can help it. You make all the right points about not neglecting your 401k, and you're completely right. I mean, we forget that it kind of reminds me of, you know, when when you grow and you mature as an adult, everybody you knew when you were younger somehow stays frozen in time the way that they were, right? And like, I think we think our 401k stays exactly the way it was when we move on because we don't know any different. We haven't kept in touch. We haven't, we're not aware of the changes it has made, but employers make changes to 401k underlying investments and your underlying investments may change. And if you've moved and you forgot about that plan, then you're probably not receiving the mail that notifies you of those plan changes. If you haven't logged in, you've probably forgot the login. And when you finally want to go about addressing it and dialing back in and reminding yourself what that for how that 401k is invested and how much is in there, it's going to take you a lot longer to do because you don't remember the login, right? So it just it just it can become stale. And to your point, Kobe, inappropriate um, for your current needs as you age. So don't take it out um, is the best advice to that with respect to the 401k, but also don't forget about it. So let's end today's episode with some resources that we would recommend for those who are in their 40s. Karen, what's some of the good resources out there folks should pay attention to? Well, I mean, I think I I have to say our book, Your Dollars, Our Cents, A Fun and Simple Guide to Money and Investing, available on Amazon. Uh, it is particularly helpful for the 40-somethings because it addresses financial milestones like buying your first home, starting a family, uh, retirement savings by age. How much did you have saved based on how old you are? The basics of an estate plan and how important those documents are that you touched on, Kobe. Health insurance, right? That employee benefit health insurance election that we have to do every year that is so confusing. Um, and by the way, there is no perfect answer to that, I will say. If ever you feel like you've finished your enrollment and it you could have done something differently or better, you won't know until a year from now anyway. So you might as well just go in with as, you know, as educated of a guess as possible, which our book helps you to do, and then move on with your new year. Kobe, your books. I know you've got them. Give them to us. 
I am usually have a book top of mind that I want to recommend. All of my clients can probably attest to that. And I'm going to give two today that I think are appropriate for really anybody. Um, and they're books that I like, and I think they're great personal finance books, and maybe they look at things a little bit differently, uh, and I think that's valuable as well. Um, and so for those in their 40s, the first one I'm going to recommend is, I believe, the most popular personal finance book of all time. I believe that's the case. It at least says so on the cover of my copy, which is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, it's an excellent book. It gives you a great way to think about uh, growing your assets growing your income level, and not allowing that uh, lifestyle creep to occur. And the second book that I'm going to recommend, and I think this is a great book for everybody to um, read just as a basics of personal finance, but it's also for those in your 40s, you probably have young kids. And this is a great book to read with and to your young kids uh, because it's personal finance told in a narrative story. It's also a very old book. Uh, The book is The Richest Man in Babylon. Great book to read yourself, uh, even a great book to read with your kids to learn some timeless and truly timeless um, uh, personal finance lessons. That book is actually based on um, based on uh, tablets that were found in Babylon. It's about 5,000 years old at the time the book was written. Uh, and um, the the advice and the struggles that the individuals on that were written about on those tablets were going through were very familiar even to us today. So personal finance, personal financial struggles is something that is truly timeless. So I recommend both of those books. Obviously, I recommend this podcast. There are not only this episode, but go back, listen to some of our previous episodes on other personal finance mat- uh, matters that you may have uh questions about or struggle with. Um, I have to clarify that your dollars uh, are sense. Um, it is our book, but it is Beacon Point's book. Uh, Karen and I, Karen was part of that book, but I was not, so I can't take credit. Uh, but it is Beacon Point's uh, book, uh, and it is excellent. So I think those are all the resources we have for those in their 40s. Karen, anything that you would add before we wrap up on this Friday afternoon? Remember, listeners, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, any additional topics you would like to consider, uh, Kobe and I, bundling in an, in a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can contact us at info at getthesense.com. That is info at getthesense.com. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at getthesense and online at beaconpoint.com. That's point with an E. Be sure to check back regularly for new episodes. Until next time, keep your dollars and we'll keep our cents.